Hey, Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor JP here. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining with us on our podcast today. I pray today that this message stirs your faith, that it builds you up, that it draws you closer to the Father's heart, and ultimately that you just feel the embrace of heaven. We would love to stay connected with you and you to stay connected with us. So please feel free to check us out on our website, oasischurchchicago.com, or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Also, you can be sure to join with us on our live stream on our YouTube page every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now here's today's message. How's everybody doing this morning? It is good to be here. It's better to be here than anywhere else. Hannah, it's good to see your face. Um, I love that song. It's um, it's so. When, when we get to the place where his presence is real to us, there's not a lot of words that need to be said to get in there and to dwell there. And so I love the simple worship. It's good. Um, you guys excited to receive the word this morning? Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 84. And I'm going, to teach, I'm going to teach the Bible this morning, and I want to talk about longing for the presence of God. And um, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to teach this morning. And I have a special place in my heart for this text because about five years ago, this text marked me. How many know um, when, when you read the Bible and it, like, it does something to you, that's God. We, different traditions use different verbiage to talk about the same thing. So if you come from a more traditional background, you might call it illumination. If you come from a Pentecostal background, you might call it getting wrecked. But what happens, right, is when the word is read and you encounter the word through the word, things change. And so this has been a well that I have continually ran to and gotten nourishment from. And I wanna encourage us this morning, the wells that God's digging in you right now are not just for this season. You're going to come to a place where you need the well that God dug years past. So I encourage you, right, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, to he who has, more will be given. What he says is that if you steward what God has given you and you're faithful with it, he will give you more. It's a promise. So I just encourage us this morning, right off that, this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Steward your wells, amen? Amen. I'm going to uh, talk about longing for the presence of God. Um, what I love about this passage is that the psalmist does not talk about the longing for the presence of God as a, um, as a spectator or as somebody who is theorizing. But he talks about the presence of God and longing for the presence of God as somebody who has experiential history. 
that old saying, um, I'm forgetting the old saying, if you can't do, teach, that doesn't work in the kingdom. Jesus teaches the kingdom and he's the model citizen. So what we see in our passage is that um, this is personal testimony he's recalling this morning. Amen? Okay, this is, this is how it reads. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Amen. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. Lord, we are here. We are alive. And we're ready to receive what you have for us. We open our hands, we open our hearts. Lord, speak to us. Would you breathe on this word? Would we leave changed? Would we be different? Would we learn to dwell? Would we learn to long for you? Teach us, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, all throughout the Bible, the language of longing is available to, for us to see. But what's interesting about the language of longing is that it is directly connected to loving. Longing is a soulful activity, which means it requires every last part of who we are. So when, when we talk about longing for God, we're talking about every part of our makeup oriented towards a person. And what we see is that longing, because it is a love issue, is a matter of the heart. And Jesus has lots to say about our heart. Where our heart is, there our treasure will be. Matthew 6, 21. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance or diligence for, for from it flow the springs of life. 
Blessed, Matthew 5, 8, when Jesus gives his inaugural address to his disciples teaching about what does the kingdom look like, he says this statement, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Further on, as he is rebuking the Pharisees and explaining to the disciples why the Pharisees don't understand what he's talking about, he says this statement, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the? And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. What we see this morning in our passage is that God is very concerned with what we long for because he's concerned with what we love. If this is true, it dramatically changes the way we approach our longings. What we long for and love matters. Cool? That's how, that's how I'm gonna set this up. So the first thing we see in this text, our longing for God is initiated by his longing for us. And if you're like, Nick, where do you get that from this text? I'll show you. The greatest insight into that is the author of this text. What does it say? To the choir master, addressed to the choir master, according to, somebody pronounced that. Gitith? I guess. A psalm of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah. Why is that significant? Well, if you turn back, to Numbers 19, you'll see Korah, a Levite, called, set apart, anointed by God to minister to him in the temple, in the tabernacle, leading a rebellion against the leadership of Moses and bringing 249 people with him. That's a lesson for leadership. Your actions don't just involve you. What happens is not good. They, they receive punishment because they didn't rebel against Moses, they rebelled against God. But what's God's heart here? God's heart is for those who would come after him, his sons, to come back into grace, to walk in the initial calling for their life, which was to be a Levite, to walk, to minister to the heart of God and to be a mediator between God and his people. In other words, what their ancestor did, what their father did, is not disqualifying them. And the same goes for you and I. If you are alive this morning, you are not outside of the grace of God. There's nothing that you can do to keep you from receiving the grace that transforms you. It's good news. God is a lover. And he loves you exactly where you are right now. That longing that led Jesus to the cross is the initiator of our longing. The second thing we see, though, is that our longing is for a person. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, 
faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. The, the thing that stands out here first is the loveliness. Again, this is not language being used, right? This, this poetic language engages the heart. I can't walk into the host, into the presence of the Lord, the psalmist says, and not have an effectual response. This person himself is a lover. But the thing is that when sin gets into the human heart, this is what's so destructive about it, is that it, is, it distorts our notion of love. The, the, the worst part about it, though, is it doesn't remove our capacity to love. That's, what, that, that, that's, that's the, the hard part about where our world is at right now, is we have a bunch of lovers that are oriented towards the wrong thing and don't know what to love. Look at, the, look, at the, look at the descriptive language. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Your soul, my soul, has an appetite. You're hungry this morning. And you may not even know what you're hungry for, but you're hungry. I wanna draw attention to the nature of the longing, though. What we see from the writer is that this is a comprehensive, all-engaging type of longing. Soul longing requires an all-or-nothing disposition towards the one we long for. In other words, the psalmist has no question in his mind about who or where he's longing. He has a specific place on his mind the courts of the Lord. This is a reference to the outer courts of the temple where the Korahites would minister to the presence of the Lord. Thus, and people would, people would come there as well because it wasn't the inner sanctuary. So people are allowed to be in that place. Thus, our psalmist depicts himself as a pilgrimage. He's saying, I'm standing here and I want to be there. I want to be in the courts of the Lord. The thought of being in the presence of God at the temple makes his heart sing for joy. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, he says. Those people who get to be your neighbor and go every day, they're blessed because they get to dwell there. So what does it mean to dwell? To dwell is to make your resting place to come under the protection and care of a person or place. Now, how many of you see this? This is an active verb, to dwell. This is not passive. Dwelling does not happen by accident. It is an intentional decision. This does not happen by accident. This is the daily decision to set your heart on pilgrimage to Zion. And this dwelling only serves to reinforce that longing for the presence of God. And this transitions us to what he says next, that our longing actually shapes our perspective. Right? Blessed are those whose strength is in you, 
in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, each one appearing before God in Zion. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. We need to see the revelatory, revolutionary thing of what he's saying right now. This transforms us. What, he, what the psalmist is doing here is he's, right, remember when he started, he says, I'm a pilgrimage, I'm a pilgrim longing to be in a place. I'm longing to be in the courts. But look what he does here. Now he makes the profound statement, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. What is he doing? He's indicating that there is a way that I can be in Zion without physically being in Zion. And it takes place in the heart. He's uncovering the truth that as great as temple worship is, as great as liturgical activities, gathering together, singing the songs, praying the prayers, doing the things, all of those things are for the purpose of, of connecting your heart to God. What he says is that abiding in the Lord is not contingent upon being at the temple, but upon stewarding, stewarding the heart, orienting your heart towards the God who dwells in the temple. It's good. Longing is primarily an internal reality. Now, some of you here are sitting there going, did he just give me an admonishment to not go to church? No. Quite the opposite. The whole point of the, of the first half of the psalm, right, is that the psalmist wants to be there. Can I, can I give you, can I give you a, a cool, uh, a funny saying to say to somebody when you meet a Christian and they're like, yeah, I love God, I just don't love the church? The heart that loves the Lord of the house will love the house of the Lord. Just as our psalmist here. And what does he say? In whose hearts are the highways to Zion? This is the one directional disposition of the person who has set their heart on God. Now some might say, that doesn't seem very practical. You don't know what I do on my day-to-day -day basis. You don't know where I go to work. But our writer goes, can I, can, I, can I challenge us here? If his word doesn't seem practical to us, it is not his responsibility, it's ours to uncover where it's practical and where we're missing it. Doesn't give us an excuse to dismiss what he's saying. It just means that what he is saying, I'm not getting. And as the one who follows, it's my responsibility, it's Nick's responsibility to go, I don't get this, and I need to come into a greater position of revelation about this. But look at, our, look at, look at, look at this text. I mean, he's like, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to explain. Cool? As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. I want to draw your attention this morning to the geographical significance of this valley. And just a little pro tip, as you're reading your Bible, right, 
when, when, when you're reading your Bible and the writer mentions geographical locations, he's almost always referencing something in Israel's past. So don't just skip over names and places because you're like, Baka, I don't even know what that is, right? Again, press into that, ask people questions, do whatever you can to find out why is the writer writing this because it matters, it's significant. The Valley of Baca was a small valley region west of Jerusalem in the direction of the Philistines. The, the verb here means to weep. So traditionally, this has been known as the Valley of Weeping. We see recorded, and you know where I'm going already. We see recorded in 2 Samuel 5, 22 through 24, and 1 Chronicles 14, 13 through 16, this valley was where Israel's wept as their neighboring Philistines would come in and ravish their land, would slaughter their men and take their crops. Why are you referencing this in the middle of a worship song, we ask. For an Israelite, hearing that name immediately invokes thoughts, feelings of horror, sorrow, frustration, possibly regret, remorse, sadness, despair. Not the best idea to put this in the middle of a worship song. So why does he do it? We have to finish the second half of the verse. They make it a place of refreshing springs. The heart that has learned to live in Zion is able to walk through the deepest, darkest, most sorrowful, most painful situations because they have him. The magnitude of this lesson cannot be underestimated for you and for me. If you want to grow into a Holy Spirit-filled, mature, Jesus-loving and longing person in this life, we have to catch this. Why? Because you and I are going to have our fair share of valleys of Bacchus. The mature believer is the one who walks through this valley and through whatever that situation is and because of their heart's connection to the one that they're walking with, make it a place of refreshing springs. This is uh, our brother last week. This is not sexy Christianity. When tragedy hits, as we were praying this morning, 18 years old, gone. The heart that learns to walk with God in that moment is a testimony to every single one of us. We pray for that family so that their hearts would be connected to him. And I want us to see how important the valley actually is to the spiritual life and the growth of our love longing towards God. Things don't have to be perfect. 
and put together and super spiritual for us to grow in that. The battles, the valleys, the things that you're facing right now are not an accident. And with a yielded heart, it will produce something in you that wouldn't have been produced if you weren't in that valley. So if you're waiting on God to take you out of whatever that valley may be, I would suggest to you this morning that maybe he's trying to teach you how to entrust your heart to him. This is what delivers us from the temptation to try to abide in the future. I can't abide where I'm not at. I can abide in this valley. I can have daily bread. I can wake up exactly where I am, regardless of whatever valley I'm in, and say, Lord, I connect. I give my heart to you again this day. As we move to verse eight, we see that longing actually moves us into prayer. And I know I'm just speaking from experience here. Usually when I don't feel like praying, it's not a theology issue. It's not like a, I'm just tired. It's always a heart issue. It's always a love issue. It's always a longing issue. Something has cut in on my love and my desire. If I have time to wake up and scroll through Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, or Be Real, I just found out that app today, Be Real, or this week, this past week. Stay tuned, I might get a Be Real. What even is that? <laughs> yeah, we have time to pray. We have a lot of time to pray. Our longing is what moves us to prayer. But I wanna, I wanna draw attention to what he prays because it's pretty profound. I want us to see that this is personal to him or them. If you look throughout the entire passage, these are the names for God that are given. Living God, my king, Lord of hosts, the Lord God. But here, at this juncture, he uses a different name. He says, God of Jacob. He's calling attention to the familial relationship he has with the God he's praying to. Our psalmist knows that Yahweh is the one who gives life and light to all nations. He knows that he causes the sun to, to rise and set on the godly and the ungodly. He knows that every single king of the earth, his God has appointed. But in this instance, at this time, he says, you are my God. Yahweh has sworn by himself, by his very name, to protect, to keep, to love the lineage of Jacob in his fulfillment to his promise to Abraham. So therefore, there is a special privilege that comes of being in that line. Simply put, he's saying, God, we have history here. There's investment, there's buy-in. When we have spent much time in that place of love and longing, 
we begin to pray with a boldness, with an expectation, with a familial um, gusto. Let me say it that way. He's my God. You're not busy answering everybody else in the world. You're my God. And I'm here in your courts. And you're tending to me. You have that access. This is what it means to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Is that we are with him, in him, near the Father, at the Father's right hand. Behold our shield. This is the common prayer of the Israelite for their king who would lead and protect and defend them. Need I remind us this morning, look upon the face of your anointed, that there was another anointed one. He was the anointed one, shielding both you and I from the wrath of God and the judgment of our sin bringing us to new life. But the audacious thing about what Christ has done on your behalf and on mine is that he not only shields us, but he brings us into a place of victory and places an anointing on you and on me. Look at 1 John 2, verse 20. Is it up there? That's not it. I think that's John 2, 20. That's all right. What it says is that we've all received an anointing from Jesus. So tomorrow morning when you wake up and you're looking at yourself in the mirror as you're brushing your teeth or doing whatever you're doing, I hope you're brushing your teeth. Yeah, the Holy One, the Holy One, we have received his anointing on us. It's good news. As you're waking up tomorrow, you can pray this prayer. Lord, Point to yourself, point to your face. Look upon this face. And that may seem silly, but we walk differently when we know that his face and his gaze is upon us. <laughs> Let's continue. We're going to land the plane here soon. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly with him. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. We see here that first our longing leads us to proclamation. I would rather be a doorkeeper I would rather be at the place, I would rather be at the furthest reaches of God's kingdom than be center stage in Satan's. The proclamation of the one who has been to the courts of the Lord is that there is not one day anywhere else that is better than here. In simple, in simple terms, God's worst is better than Satan's best. How many of you guys find this interesting? This is the exact opposite perspective that Satan has. Look at the humility in that proclamation. Satan says, I'd rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. That's a whole nother sermon. 
last verse reads this, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Our longing lays hold of promise. The Lord is a son. He gives life and light. He nourishes and strengthens. He does not condemn or put down. The Lord is a shield. He defends and keeps. He lifts our head when we're weary and fights on our behalf. He is a good father who gives good gifts to his children who come and dwell with him. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk perfectly. Nobody wants to correct me right there. That's not what the text says. This is not perfection. This is the heart that has decided, come what may, the highways of Zion is here. It's not perfection, it's investment. It's a heart that isn't turning back. Longing is a soulful activity. Your soul, my soul, we long for him whether we even realize it or not. And I find that oftentimes I need to reestablish within my own heart the highway to Zion. Um, there are many moments where longing for God is not my natural inclination. Anybody else? And in those moments, the responsibility again is on us. So I do something super simple and I want to give us the time to do it today. Bruce, would you please come on up? Do something super simple. I sit, and as best as I know how, just quiet my heart before God, place my hands on my heart. And it, and it goes something like this, right? I'm just gonna like open up Nick's prayer life for you guys. God, I'm here. I don't feel like being here. I don't want to be here, but I am here. I choose regardless of what I feel like to be here. I choose to receive you again. I choose you again. I choose you forever. You, God, are my treasure. You are my king. You are my God.
I yield my heart to you now. I choose to love now. Now, if you have prayed prayers like this before, how many of you know you usually don't get very far into the prayer before you begin to long? Because often it's the condition of our heart that we are unaware of that when we bring before God, he begins to work out. But it's the, it's the initial coming under, dwelling, choosing in this moment right now, when I don't feel like it, when I don't want to, I'm gonna dwell. I'm going to come before God. And so I just wanna give us the time to do that, right? Because again, to dwell is an active verb. As we sang this morning, I felt the Lord so strongly on this. As we sang about the Lord being a miracle worker and that even though we don't see it, there was a, there was a soul longing in the room. I don't know if you could feel it yourself. There were many people who weren't believing that but were singing it in faith. There was this grit. There was this, I don't feel this right now. I know it's theologically true, but I'm going to sing this until I see it come to fruition. There is something that happens when you choose to do the thing that you don't want to do, that you know is true in God's word. And let me just share with you guys this morning that the promise of God for you and for me is that in that place, he is there. It's not theologically complicated. It's not, you don't have to do a bunch of mental jump ropes. It's that childlike, Lord, here's my heart. And so I just wanna encourage us this morning, whatever valley you may be in, the Lord himself is here. He dwells in you, he dwells in us, and he's looking for hearts that would yield themselves to him once again. And so as Bruce plays, I just encourage you right now to just place your hand on your heart. just begin to bring that heart before him.